Hey guys, welcome to the Fieldcraft Survival Podcast. I am your host for this podcast and the ad space. My name is Kevin Estella. I'm the director of training here at the company. Guys, this podcast is going to be freaking awesome. Uh, I pull well, kind of like all the other podcasts that we have here, but I really am going to enjoy talking to the guy that we have on today um, because I've been using his products for a long time. But before we get to this podcast, I want to talk about two other companies that offer really, really great products, and that is Black Rifle Coffee and Sig Sauer. I'm gonna start off with Sig Sauer. I've been a fan of Sig Sauer for a very, very long time. I've been to their training academy uh, close to 20, maybe two dozen times. Um, And I'll tell you that they really are, hands down, one of the premier institutions in the country, uh, shooting schools. Now guys, it may seem crazy for a tactical company, a training company like Fieldcraft Survival to say, you know, uh, SIG does it really, really well. Like, hey, maybe they're competition. I don't see them as competition. I see them as uh, being in the same fight as we are to educate people into safe firearms use and becoming a better version of yourself. I have gone to a bunch of their courses. I've owned a bunch of their firearms and uh, I've got a couple of their suppressors and they just do a really, really good job. Um, on top of it, there's no egos at at SIG when you go to the academy. All the instructors really just want to see you do a better job. And, you know, they don't mind if you show up with other firearms, but they're going to really like it if you show up with one of theirs. Uh, in addition to the academy, SIG has the Experience Center, which we had the very good fortune of going behind the scenes at recently and everything from the museum where you get to kind of track the history of sig firearms from the early days to where they are now with like the development of the new squad automatic weapon i mean it's pretty pretty incredible and then on top of that you have a range where you can go and try out the guns before you buy which try finding that with other firearms manufacturers and chances are you're not going to find that uh of course i mean with sig you can take my word for it or you can just look to see who's carrying sig firearms they are uh, in the hands of a lot of law enforcement and military. I mean, the military did choose the M18 and the M17 as their official handgun. Um, and the 320 as a unit and the 365, I mean, a whole bunch of us here at the company are carrying SIG pistols uh, for a good reason. Uh, they just simply work when you want them to work. Guys, please check out SIG. Their website is SIGSour.com. Go to the Academy. If you go to the Academy and you see a guy named Chris Cavallero, we call him Cav. Everyone calls him Cav. Bring him Cadbury eggs, anything chocolate. Uh, I know he's a lefty. I know that nine out of 10 of us are going to make fun of him for that. And if you're one of those one out of 10, that's also a lefty. I'm sorry that God made you the wrong way. But uh, guys, please, please make fun of Cav. Uh, He's a good friend. So please go over to SIGSour.com. Go to the Academy. Check him out. The other company I want to bring up is Black Rifle Coffee. Black Rifle Coffee is currently what I am drinking. Uh, Some people are like, are you really drinking it over there? Yes. The answer is yes. I currently have a cup of Silencer Smooth in front of me. It's the second cup of coffee for the day. Um, Everyone here at the company drinks Black Rifle Coffee, whether it's ready to drink stuff or it is the drip stuff or it is the Keurig stuff. We are big Black Rifle Coffee fans. Uh, we've done a number of productions for Black Rifle Coffee. We've been to a bunch of their events. They come to a bunch of ours. If you guys happen to see us on the road in our giant green sprinter van that says Black Rifle Coffee on it, no, we are not Black Rifle Coffee. We are just very good friends with them, and that's why we have their name plastered all over our van. And if you happen to find us at a gas station, ask us if we have any Black Rifle Coffee for you, and chances are we're going to have some ready-to-drink stuff. If you can't find us at a gas station, go to the Black Rifle Coffee website, 
Use our coupon code CRAFT15, and that will get you 15% off of your order. Now, this doesn't include some of the special packages and the ready-to-drink stuff. You're going to kind of have to screw around with the website and see what you can get the 15% off for and what you're not going to. But if we can save you a little bit of money in this recession, we're going to. Uh, so please go over to blackrebelcoffee.com, use the coupon code CRAFT15, and pick up some coffee while you're there. Check out our coffee. It's called Endurance, and uh, it's got Shackleton on the cover. All right, we're going to get down to this podcast. Like I said, it's going to be a good one. We're going to be talking to Cody Stewart, president of VanComp Systems out of Vegas. Get ready for a good one. Here we go. All right, guys, this podcast today is brought to you by a badass in the shotgun industry, someone who I call a friend, someone who has helped me out with a couple of my guns. And just in case you guys don't know, right, the shotgun is something that a lot of people say is antiquated. They're like, oh, why would you want a shotgun? You know, it it barks a lot. You got to constantly feed the pig. You know, like people want to poo-poo the shotgun. But from a survival perspective, and that's the way that I'm going to look at this today. I'm not a tactical guy, uh, but I'm going to talk about it from the survival perspective and home defense perspective. Shotgun is really, really an incredible firearm for versatility. And if you can get even 10% better performance out of something by sending your your gun, your tool to someone to work on it, I'll take that 10% advantage any day. Um, a lot of people are like, oh, that's only 10%. Well, would you rather be a D student or a C student? Would you rather be a B student or an A student? Guess what? That's only 10% out of 100 separating you from, from that. So today I am joined by Cody Stewart, president of VanComp Systems out of Vegas. Cody, how the hell are you, buddy? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you this morning? Oh, highly caffeinated, man. I, uh, I'm i <laughs> definitely, definitely jamming. Um, today's going to be one of those days where, you know, we're recording this on a Friday and I slept really, really well last night. So the combination of good sleep and like three or four cups of coffee, mother of God, <laughs> I can nice. I can hear colors and I can smell sounds. <laughs> That's great. So I want to bring you on because we uh, we just had an awesome weekend with you guys. Um, we myself and Nate Jones were down in Vegas, uh, Sin City, and you guys were, were kind enough to find a location for us to run events. And we ran a med class and we ran a land nav class Saturday and Sunday. But we also piggybacked onto your 870 armors class, which was on a Friday. Um so it was just really cool to to get down there, train with you guys, see the facility, the new shop, and kind of just bring the whole community together. Um, so I just want to thank you publicly for that in this in this podcast. Hey, it was, it was my pleasure, man. Um, it's a great facility, so I'm I'm glad you guys enjoyed it as well. And yeah, the Nevada Highway Patrol they they were really uh, charitable, you know, just letting us use that for as long as we needed and you know, having a guy in class to help us, you know, open doors and, you know, get whatever we need. So, um, it was a good class, great turnout. I was really happy that you guys were happy. Oh, for sure. Uh, the Nevada state highway patrol, those guys are really cool. Um, a lot of people think that, uh, you know, highway patrol is kind of like super troopers, you know, that (laughs) that movie, you know, about the Vermont state police and everything, but these guys are so chill, so cool. So laid back. Um, they didn't, throw out that, that usual cop vibe that you, you can, you can get, you know, sometimes like these guys were just average Joes, right? Like, but totally, totally 
great to be around, super helpful. Um, and you know, we, uh, we love that facility. The, f- the fact that you could stand in the center of that room without any type of microphone and it could be heard everywhere in the room. And the, the trooper was like, oh yeah, it's acoustically tuned. So you don't have to raise your voice. I was like, what kind of wizardry is this? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you appreciated that as an educator. Oh my God, dude. I mean, you sat in on the, on the class on on Sunday. Um, we talk yeah. a, a good amount. We do a lot of hands-on, but to not have to raise your voice, that that facility was amazing. Awesome. So well, thanks. I'm glad. And we'll definitely have you back shortly. Oh, dude, I cannot wait to get down there. I know Mikey Hernandez wants to get down there and do some mobility training. And we could possibly use that facility for some of the other stuff. I mean, probably no live fire, but, you know, we could maybe do like a, you know, decision point class or, you know, something along those lines. Maybe a go rigs and coffee. I, I don't know. We'll, we'll play it by ear. Nice. All righty. So let's catch everyone up to speed on, on who you are and, what you do for the company. So let's start with the company. How did VanComp come to be? So VanComp came to be because uh, in the 80s and before then, really since uh, shotguns were being used, you know, with buckshot in a law enforcement role, um, they were used to, you know, take care of bad guys. And all those pellets that come out of that shotgun, they need to be accounted for. So since... You know, police officers didn't have rangefinders built into their eyeballs. Um, they had to use their judgment on when to, when was a safe time to press that trigger and, and send those pellets downrange. Um, well, the FBI decided that there were too many errant pellers, uh, sorry, errant pellets flying downrange. And one time, a couple times, they hit good guys instead of only the bad guys. So in a shotgun world, you would use a choke tube to tighten down that shot pattern, but law enforcement did not want to mess with the choke tube or the liability of shooting the wrong ammunition through a choke tube. So they wanted an integral way to tighten down the shot pattern to increase that performance and reduce the liabilities of the departments without having to change choke tubes um, you know, with their buckshot ammunition. So Hans Wang, he was a German master gunsmith trained for a long time in California, the FBI came to hands and said, what can you do to a shotgun to make it shoot a tighter shot pattern without choke tubes? And since Hans was from the shotgun world, trap and skeet, uh, a lot of the gamer stuff that that you do with shotguns, there are ways to tighten that shot pattern by back boring. So Hans, Hans decided since we're using buckshot instead of birdshot, you needed to take a different approach. So Hans Vang invented the Vang comp system. A process of lengthening the forcing cone, backboring the barrel, and then even the ports in the front. That was that was just a bonus. But to satisfy the FBI's requirement, the VanComp system was created. The modification to an existing barrel that makes it shoot a tighter shot pattern uh, without the use of choke tubes. For those of us in the in the non-gunsmithing world, what the hell is a forcing cone? And <laughs> great. And and what is backboring? Yeah, so um, typically the the forcing cone is the part of the barrel just in front of where that shell goes into. So when you chamber the shell, the the shell, it's shorter than two and three quarter or three inches until you press the trigger and that crimp unfolds. The transition from the outside diameter of the shell to the outside diameter of the bore, which is a smaller measurement, those are cones. That's a the, the physics of that, where 
the geometry of one cylinder being larger than another cylinder, the transition from the big one to the small one is the cone. So the forcing cone on most shotguns is about half an inch to an inch long. So it's, it's a pretty aggressive taper from the outside diameter of a shell to the outside diameter of the, the bore, which becomes the shotgun barrel. And so we lengthen that forcing cone from about an inch to about six inches. Combining that with the back bore, uh, back bore just means we're boring it. Instead of boring the hole from the front from the muzzle, we're boring it from the back, uh, from the chamber side. And that's a machining fixture. I don't know how nerdy you want me to get. but Oh, uh, dude, get nerdy. <laughs> okay, copy. We're, we're pretty much already down that we're down that lane. So, uh, yeah, so the the length and force and cone of backboard combined, that's us holding the barrel in a fixture on the lathe and then pushing the barrel into the cutter that's stationary. And that's, that cutter is coming in from the chamber side and not the muzzle. So that's the backboard and that's the forcing cone. So we turn those into one big long transition. So instead of the forcing cone being an angle where a lot of pressure build up and that's where a lot of the recoil comes from, uh, it's one nice long taper. It's a big funnel from essentially the front of the chamber, the edge of your shotgun shell in that chamber, all the way down to the last two inches of the barrel, which we leave alone. By leaving that two inches of the barrel alone, but back boring everything else, we've made it that transition bigger and therefore we've introduced a constriction that wasn't there. And that's where it's kind of like a choke tube, but you're not limited to what type of ammo can go through it. Because if it started as a cylinder bore or an improved cylinder bore, you can still shoot slugs and buckshot and steel shot and lead shot and everything through it without the potential of blowing up the end of your barrel or sending your choke tube down range. Jeez. Yeah. I, I have not personally seen a barrel blow up at the range. I've <laughs> seen plenty of YouTube videos in my late night insomnia where I usually want to do things like, uh, you know, our friend Andy Stump, he likes watching people crash their mountain bikes. Well, I like watching people <laughs> get hit with exercise balls and I oh. enjoy, you know, gorillas throwing poo, but I also enjoy like seeing like these range mishaps where, you know, there's the the one of the guy in like the white lab coat shooting the rifle and the rifle just gets launched from his his body. I don't know what he was shooting, like a 416 Rigby or something. Um, yeah, I've seen that one. It's yeah, you, you don't know what I'm range. talking about, right? He's like Middle Eastern guy. Um, right, right. Well, I've never seen a barrel blow up, but I know like through hunter education courses, they always say, oh, don't shoot this through a shotgun. Don't shoot that. What I find interesting with what you guys do is for people who say, oh, the 12 gauge shotgun recoil. Oh, it's terrible. The recoil is really bad. I mean, there's different types of recoil, right? There's there's recoil that feels like a push, and then there's re recoil that feels like a punch. And sometimes the recoil is very sharp, like it's a very short impulse, but it's very powerful. And then other times it's kind of like a shove, like a longer one. And when you were telling one of the guys at the class uh, about the the way that the recoil changes when you lengthen that forcing cone. I mean, I could see his eyes light up like, wow, you know, I want to now give that shotgun to people that might be a little bit more recoil timid in my family. So what exactly does it do to the recoil? I mean, we, we joke around about like, you can't, uh, you can't fool, uh, uh, Newton's laws of physics, but what does it right. do? Yeah. So recoil is essentially it's, it's force over time and that's how you feel it in your shoulder. So that when you have a forcing cone, that's a really steep angle, that transition from the outside diameter of the shell, the unfired shell 
to the outside diameter of the, the bore of the shotgun. When that only takes one inch to happen, there's a lot of pressure there, and that's the equal and opposite laws of force there. So, um, the when it it has to happen quickly, and there's no other place for it to go, you're going to feel that in your shoulder. When the VanComp system is introduced to that equation, what we do is give that force a longer timeline where it needs to happen. So turning the whole barrel into a taper, essentially, it stretches out that recoil over a longer timeline. So it feels like less of a punch and more of a push. So you, you can't change the physics of a, a shell, you know, all things created equal. This, you know, call it a Fiocchi, you know, nine pellet double out buckets, 1700 feet per second, because they're crazy. That's going to recoil as much as it's going to recoil, as long as everything else stays the same. But the VanComp system, when you fire that shell in a VanComp, it takes longer for that all of that energy to translate to your shoulder and start to move the shotgun backwards. Got it. And that's probably why, like, when you talk about, like, a hunting rifle that's pushing, you know, 2,800 feet per second in the Magnum calibers or even over three grand – I mean, that feels more like it's a, a sharper impulse because it's traveling so much faster over that distance, right? Sure. I mean, the, the impulse is... <laughs> you, uh, say, you say sure, like, like yeah, you could put it that way, moron. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're right because it is, um, it's also a smaller pipe behind it. You think a 12-gauge, it's a, it's a lot of stuff moving, but it's also a 73-caliber hole. So there's more volume in that pipe behind the projectile. So we get a pressure spike a little early right there at that forcing cone. And then we get a, a smaller pressure spike at the end on the, the choke, the very final constriction. Um, on a rifle, you've got that spike essentially all the way through, you know, you're gonna see the uh, the pressure spikes. If you had instruments on it, you'll see different points on along the barrel, but there's really nothing that would introduce more pressure on, on a rifle. Like you were talking about, you had alluded to the, the velocity and then it's the, the weight of the projectile. Those things are, they're directly, there's a direct relation between that and felt recoil on a gun. You know, if they weigh five pounds and you've got the, the weight of the projectile and the velocity of the projectile over say a 20 inch barrel, that's gonna recoil a, a set amount, all things equal on a five pound rifle. And then if you put that same exact recipe onto a 10 pound rifle, it's going to take a lot less, you'll feel less recoil in your shoulder. So that's, that's kind of the science of that. And that's, you know, same thing as dram equivalent on the old shotgun shells, but we can get into that later if you want to. Yeah. We, I'm, I'm, we're definitely going to geek out. Like, I guess that's the reason why, uh, you know, something like the SIG 320, they have, uh, some like tungsten filled frames and mm. it reduces the felt recoil, right? Because you've got that added weight. Um, now, what is the least pleasant shotgun round or shotgun round and shotgun that you've fired that combination? What it, cause people are like, oh, it's gotta be the 10 gauge or, or whatever, but some Turkey loads are ridiculous. Do you have one sure. that you're like, man, this is just not going to be a good day. Like it's going to rattle your teeth. <laughs> well, uh, not to blow up anybody's spot, but Fioki, that, that stuff I was talking about, yeah. it's just rude. It's super, I mean, it's, it's fast, it's heavy. And they don't do anything to buffer it. I mean, there's some physics we can do in shotgun stuff where it's not a fixed projectile. Instead, it's a, a stack of pellets inside of a cup. We can You can do the pistons on those uh, shot cups So because they're going to accelerate very quickly. It's, the G-forces are insane, almost like a, you know, a slide-mounted red dot. 
the g-forces it doesn't make sense how many g-forces it is but when you spank a shot uh, stack inside of a shot cup in the back with a whole bunch of burning powder that piston can compress and it, it can absorb some of that felt recoil like you say stretching that over a longer timeline make it more of a push and a punch but fioki doesn't care they're like oh we're, we're gonna pack as much powder in here as we can and just put a little shot card underneath there so it's it's just rude it's a big slap you know no matter what it's through so the heavier like a 590 a1 with a heavy barrel that's your best chance at shooting that stuff and still smiling <laughs> yeah the uh, uh there, there's something endearing about the shotgun you know what i mean like you take a shotgun class with a guy like kenny strats we had him on the podcast a while back or the, the guys up at sig um or one of our our field craft instructors jerry young he uh taught a, a shotgun for the police for many years and you know, he ran one for my old company, but you talk to guys about the shotgun and you either love them or you hate them. And I think it's because they are that just disgusting, right? Like it's not a, it's not a precision tool compared to like a bolt gun for long range. But I mean, if you want to dump a lot of pellets into a target and you want to make a lot of noise and you want to have a lot of damage, the shotgun's <laughs> the way to go. It's, it's the king. Um, now, I'm on your I'm on your site. I'm just screwing around on here while we talk because I'm the poster child for undiagnosed ADHD. Um, <laughs> you have a whole bunch of parts. You've got upgrade services. You got complete firearms. Like, what's the most common way that a customer kind of gets access to you? Is it kind of like, hey, let me just send in a barrel and see what this does, or do they buy parts yeah. and then say, like, let me graduate to the next level? I mean, who's your most common yeah. customer? Well, absolutely, and you. You, you hit the nail on the head, uh, sending the barrel to us. That's the, that's the way. I mean, the gateway is normally shooting your friend's van comp. We don't, uh, we don't spend money on advertising. So, you know, word of mouth, it's the best form of advertising. It has been, you know, the social media stuff nowadays, and we'll see how, how concrete that becomes in the near the coming days. But uh, yes, sir, um, send us the barrel. We do the van comp barrel system to your existing shotgun barrel. So you'll be without it for about 20 days and you'll experience that reduced recoil, the tighter shot patterns, and then the reduced muzzle rise from our, our ports as well that, that also reduce more recoil. So like just like how you were introduced to our company, I'm sure was it Struts who kind of introduced you to the van comp barrel system? No, dude, I'll tell you, I learned about van comp in the 90s. Okay. I used okay. to subscribe to American Survival Guide magazine and back in the day they would say oh uh taming taming the 12 gauge i think it was the name of the article and it was a guy shooting an 1187 and he was standing on one leg kind of like with the foot braced up against his knee showing like he can <laughs> use you know some body mechanics push pull or push uh, or pull pull and you know he was he was shooting fast and i'm like what is that and then over the years i had sent out uh, a barrel to van comp to you guys i think before you took over and I had it on a shotgun. I eventually sold that shotgun to my buddy, Jerry, who works for Fieldcraft. And then I kind of got back into it. I'm like, well, I, I want to get this gun for this class. And I sent out another one and then my 590 was done. So I've, I've been a fan of Ancom for many, many years, but I first learned about it back in the day from an instructor that I read about. And it, it's interesting because I think I'm not alone in that that's how people are getting introduced because when we do that defensive and survival shotgun course here, we'll do a walk back. And I've talked about this on podcasts before, but it, it just needs to be said, like 
we start at three yards. Then we go to, I think we go to three, seven, 10, 15, 20, all the way back. Many of the guns that are brought to that defensive shotgun class, number one, if they're not a pump, if they're a semi, many of them fail. Um, just mm-hmm. trying to vary from birdshot to buckshot to slugs, like the gas system's finicky. But yeah. when we start getting back beyond 20 yards, most of the guns are off the line because the rule is mm-hmm. you have to keep all your pellets on the paper. Well, the Van Comp guns go 25, 28, 30. The 590A1 that you guys did for me with the 20-inch barrel will go to like 33 yards, and then it <laughs> will finally drop a pellet. Um, and that's with or without flight. I mean, with flight control and most guns, it it, it improves. Um, but yeah, it, it's funny because after that demonstration, guys are like, what's the number for Van Comp? How do I get in touch with them? Because you <laughs> yeah, think about it, and you said it. It's not just for a cop who can't have an errant pellet, but in your home, like where the hell is that pellet going? Or in your backyard, if you have to, if you're dealing with a, a threat outside, civil unrest or whatever it is, like where the hell are all those pellets going? That's nine at a time. <laughs> so yeah, you're absolutely right. Yeah, and they, like like we were talking about, it's the the barrel system that's kind of the the gateway, the easy thing for us to do, and it's how we started the company 32 years ago. It was just modifying existing barrels. So, and that you can do that now. You go on vencomp.com, go to the services, install vencomp system on your barrel. You get to choose with or without ports. We recommend no ports for semi-autos for the same reason you mentioned. They they, they get a little finicky depending on gas and nothing's more finicky than a, a shot to shot standard deviation of 12 gauge. It's, I mean, <laughs> right up there with rim fire. Like you don't know what's going to happen. So the vencomp system helps kind of smooth that over, but when you have the semi-auto that they get they get dirty quickly, um, you have to stay on top of that for sure. And then just make sure the ammo you're running is is the stuff that runs the gun. When we talk about who's using it, we've got instructors, we've got sportsmen. Are you able to, and I don't want to like step on any toes here, are you able to talk about any contracts that you have with, with the gov? Yeah. Like I, I know yeah, you said the FBI standard was like, hey, we wanted a, a gun to be tighter, but is anyone using it? in that realm? Yeah, absolutely. Less and less each year as uh, patrol carbines and things become more popular, um, less dollars and they're just, it's easier to train somebody on a, on an AR. And so that's, that's why they do it. It's, it's about the dollars, less money in training, uh, less liability and, and having to think about another thing as it's time to deploy that. So military law enforcement, government agencies, those, most of those folks that are still running 12 gauge are running van comp stuff. So the, because we cut our teeth there with the FBI, we became a sole source, uh, sole source contractor for shotgun barrel modification. So then, you know, trickled down to ATF, uh, defense logistics agency, DHS, all the, all the stuff that's under DLA. So it's, and then, you know, we're in use everywhere. I love the, that when agencies will send us stuff and throw a patch in there or a challenge coin. So we, we collect those, don't advertise it, but uh, it's safe to say that our, our stuff's being used in, in a lot of bad places. <laughs> One of the questions that we always get whenever we do like coffee and questions, or I, I put up on Instagram, like, Hey, ask me a question. Guys will always say like, Hey, I bought this. What do I do to it next? Right. AR 15s mm-hmm. are notorious. I always tell people like, if you're going to get an AR 15, get a sling, get a weapon mounted light, get a red dot or a low power variable optic, right? Call it a day. And then from there, everything else is gravy. With the shotgun, 
there's a lot of different things that you could put on them or you could run it bare bones, but I want to kind of, I'm going to lead you into some questions here because I know you're going to have a better answer than I will. <laughs> all right, um, let's do it. All right. So <clears throat> the pig runs out of food very quickly. Let's talk about side saddles and like butt stocks. Like in your experience, you've taken a bunch of classes. You, when we've talked, you told me that you pretty much grew up at gunsight. Um, yes, sir. Where do you prefer to carry ammo on the gun? Yeah, that really, the answer to all your questions, I'm guessing, is going to be it depends. <laughs> yeah. That's uh, one of the problems with how versatile the 12 gauge pump gun is, is how versatile the 12 gauge pump gun is. So it's hard to give any one answer. And I think everybody should own, I don't know, five, 10 of these, seven, maybe one for every day of the week. Uh, but I'm a little partial. But Ammunition storage on the side of the gun. I would say the the side saddle, the receiver mounted shell card is probably the the most ubiquitous and most logical solution for carrying ammo on the gun. Yeah, and one of the guys in the the course, actually the trooper that was there, he had a leather mounted butt cuff, and he said mm-hmm. the leather looks great. He said, and it, it feels good, but the problem is, is that it actually corrodes the shells if there's any moisture in the leather. And I was like, oh, I never thought about that one. You know, like the yeah, nylon definitely. stuff dries Imagine out. Imagine if we still had brass shells. Yeah, the, the high wall brass. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. ammo storage, um, either receiver, buttstock. Not, I'm not a, personally a big fan of the shotgun slings that have like 15 rounds on the sling. The, the pendulum of death. Yeah, the pen, <laughs> right? That like once it starts swinging, like forget ha- seeing like your sights move on target. But when you got almost what seven pounds of ammo, maybe I don't know. I'm just exaggerating. <laughs> but like all of that just swinging, like fighting your sights. I'm not a fan of that. Oh, yeah. Um, no, agreed. If, if there's one takeaway, just nobody buy that sling. Like, I, I don't even know who makes it. Do not put that much weight on a sling on your carry strap. Yeah, I mean, in a survival roll on a 12 gauge it does make sense to have as many different types of ammunition and as readily available as possible but if it's something where you can just stuff it at your camp and just go go on a hike with if you know you're looking for birds or whatever you know use that ammo you know what i used to have when i was a teenager like (laughs) i I almost embarrassed to say it but i don't care i had one of those like gun show 50 round bandoliers and i thought that was so badass because do you remember back in the day that movie uh, Big Trouble in Little China? Sure, of course. No, I, I was a cultured kid. Sorry, sorry. Showdown in Little Tokyo, even better. Okay, I not familiar, not not by name. You don't remember Showdown in Little Tokyo was uh, Dolph Lundgren, Brandon Lee, uh, <laughs> Tia Carrere. Well, he gives Tia Carrere after he rescues her from like sex trafficking, and he brings her back to like this epic apartment that he's able to pay for on like a cop salary in LA. <laughs> he, uh, he gives her a, like a, I think it's an Ithaca shotgun, a, like a pistol grip shotgun and a whole bandolier of ammo. And I was like, I need to have that. You know, like I was like, if, if Dolph Lundgren has this, I need to have it. And you know, as a teenager, <laughs> you're working a summer job. You can afford a, a pistol grip shotgun. You're probably not going to buy a high end AR, but I also was able to buy a $10 50 round shotgun sling and and I had it in my closet and I thought it was the most badass thing at the time. I'm like, if shit hits the fan, I'm going to throw this bandolier on and I'm going to have my shotgun, you know? 
<laughs> so dumb. And then you you picked it up a year later and all the shells fell out. Yeah, that and they, they don't tell you that when you buy it. It's like, you know, elasticity <laughs> has a lifespan. Um it does. But uh Indeed. the other okay, so other accessories. Uh safeties, right? And Remington eight seventy, you got the cross bolt, Mossberg five ninety, you got the uh the tang safety. Both of those of those types of safeties, you guys make a larger safety. What's the reason for the larger safety? So the reason that we made it was because Alaska State Troopers were having trouble finding their safety switch while wearing a thick winter glove. So we did the dome head. Um, that way you could sweep the safety off. If your you know, firearms curriculum teaches you to keep your finger high and straight until it's ready to, to press the trigger, so that trigger finger is high on the side of the receiver. And when you find your threat, you can reach for the trigger. And with our Vang Dome safety on the 870, Alaska State Troopers, the idea was that they could reach for the trigger and take the safety off with their third knuckle uh, at the same time, in the same motion. Fair enough. I We've got a good friend over here who teaches classes in Hebrew. His name is Mike Guyman. Uh, he's a former Alaska State Trooper. And some of the stuff that he talks about that those guys did uh, for their training, like the Alaska state troopers are pretty much like paramilitary organization. Like they, those guys sure. go through cold water survival training. And I, I mean, you name it, they they can do it. Um, Yikes. so if they, if they're running your stuff, I'm good. Um, <laughs> now let's talk about one, one more thing that I want to bring up something awesome. The follower, I had no clue, uh, two things that I picked up from your armorers class. Number one, I didn't realize According to Richard, he said, if you have an eight round gun or eight and one, it should really be seven and one. You need to have that little bit of space, that that breathing room for that spring. Uh, and he said, if you have a six round gun, it should really be five and one, because when you leave it fully compressed, that spring life just disappears. And then there's that weird impulse. He said, if you're a cop and you've got it riding vertically in your car, now you've got all the weight of all those shells bouncing on that spring. And he's like, it's going to wear off, wear out in a year. And admittedly and embarrassingly, when I brought my two guns to you, my, my 590 and my 870, you're like, oh, this 590 spring is weak. And I never picked yeah. up on it because I keep that thing topped off. Um, but he also said, and this never occurred to me, and holy crap, like eye opener. If you're using this as a woods gun and it's exposed to the wind and the rain and all sorts of stuff, the follower can get stuck. Can you talk about that? Because we we tend to think ammo and barrel and sights. What about the stupid follower? <laughs> right. That's it's out of sight, out of mind, right? Yeah. So uh, yeah, that just to touch on the first thing, the, the minus one capacity was that's that's what we recommend as a tactic for carrying the gun and also to to keep that spring life better for longer. Because as you've learned to run the gun, you may experience some shell surge, which is a phenomenon with tubular fed magazines with a positive spring pressure, the recoil, like we talked about, the gun's traveling to the rear. So that spring needs to defeat the 63 foot pounds of torque that the 12 gauge just put out to force that next shell in there. And if you're running that action during the recoil, it's it's got to also push that shell another two, two or three quarter inches. So. The minus one was to give that spring the best chance to prevent shell surge, but it also allowed a like a slug select right out of the cruiser. So cruiser ready, they would have hammered down on an empty chamber 
safety switch off, full magazine. So if you get to the the scene, you got to take the gun out and rack that. The first round out of the magazine tube is going to go into your chamber. If you get to the scene and you realize you got to take a 40, 50 yard shot, it's time for slugs. So you'd have to shut that shell out of the chamber, prevent the next shell from coming out of the magazine tube and drop a shell in the chamber. So uh, with minus one capacity, you could arrive to the scene, observe that you need a slug, stuff a slug in the tube and rack that slug directly into the chamber. But you couldn't do that unless you had the minus one capacity. So does that make sense on the minus one? Oh, I, I'm totally tracking that one. Yeah. Very good. Okay. So under the follower, the the follower is inside the magazine tube. It's the first thing that your first shell you load into your ma empty magazine tube touches. That follower is a, ours is a stainless steel because it's anti-corrosion and has less bearing surface on the outside uh, with our ridges. So that thing travels two and three quarter inches every time you rack the action and it goes back and forth, back and forth as you load it, as you unload it. The factory followers have, they've been wanting for a while. The, the stuff from the fifties and sixties, it was a early plastics and they would degrade over time with oils and even just with exposure to the elements, the oils, they're a petroleum product that's gonna gas out over time, become embrittled and it can get stuck mid tube where it would just crack on your last round you feed out and it hits the shell latch, uh, you know, on the gun or the, the follower stop inside the magazine. So then Mossberg made the metal one, which was great. There's, it's a stamped steel. It's not going to degrade over time. So they, they took care of that, but it was just a carbon steel with a very large bearing surface on the outside diameter. So any sort of dirt and grime that could fit in between the lip of that follower and then the, the diameter of the tube, it could just hang it up. And like you said, corrosion, it could rust in place. Um, I've also seen things where people can put magazine clamps or light mounts mid tube and they'll just, just tweak it out of place. And those followers can't really overcome that. And obviously depending on how much you torque it down, even our follower can't do that. But with our reduced bearing surface, we get a better chance of working if it needs to work. All right, last question. Because actually a statement and a question, and I'm going to preface this by saying I am so bitter. I did not think of this first. I am, I'm going to say <laughs> that I am so bitter because it's hidden in plain sight. About a month ago, you and I were talking and you're like, you said something along the, along the lines of, do you have a, a camp chair? And I was like, yeah, of course. Like you go camping, you go overlanding, whatever. You're going to have these folding camp chairs. They're everywhere, right? Like you can buy them at sporting goods stores. You can buy them at Walmart. Like they're all over the place. And you're like, okay. And then you sent me a photo and I'm like, that looks like a camp chair. Okay, Cody, this is boring conversation. Where's this going? And then next thing you know, <laughs> you sent me the the opening of it. And I looked and it was an oversized camp chair that fits a shotgun, the bag. Yeah. And I was like, you smart SOB. Uh, <laughs> it, it's got to be the coolest thing. And I still, I know you're, you're like in between shipments. I still need to buy one from you. Um, so what the hell is that? And where did that idea come from? That is the benefit of having a tubular magazine shotgun. Um, it's, they, they're skinny. They can fit in little spots. I mean, think of the scabbards on, on the side, you know, the old cowboy Western movies. So that was the first time I saw something like that. And I can't take credit for the full idea of it for sure. It was a, a old dude out at a gun site, um, 
on the weekends, they'll do like a little refresher, like a, a, they call them range days, carbine range day, pistol range day, shotgun range day, shotgun range day. The guy didn't have a, he, he had his um, camping chair bag that he turned into like a discreet carry case with a, like a clean out tube PVC, like a four inch PVC pipe at the bottom of the bag. And then he had sewn in pipe insulation on the whole inside of that, you know, the rectangular cube. <laughs> so yeah, he, uh, it was just a way to kind of mask what was inside of it, but hide it in plain sight. So just needed a, a rigid bottom to, to, you know, withstand any rocks or things to poke out of it. We went a, an extra step further and made it waterproof too, just so you could set it in the grass and all that. But, um, yeah, it's, it's a, as we say on the website, it's, it's unapologetically overbuilt. It does not need to be as heavy duty as it is, but essentially because you got a shotgun with a tubular magazine, you just slide this thing inside and cinch up those closures. And it looks like a cheap little camping chair bag. Like, uh, we, we, we intentionally did this, the strap that, that we did. It's a black nylon. It's just, it looks like a cheap little sewn on strap, but everything's done by tough products out of San Diego. They do a really good job on, uh, you know, just a thousand D Cordura and, you know, four pounds, uh, foam on the inside. So it's, it's really overbuilt. It's built to last. It doesn't need to be as built as it is, but we were, uh, you know, it was, it was something to, you know, the soft goods stuff for us was, it's not a priority business for us. We, our priority business is making metal parts and, because that's really hard to do right now with the, the labor force that we have and supply chain stuff by, you know, the whole thing that happened <laughs> back in the day. Um, we, it was just an easy project to get done. The tough products made it way too easy for us to develop this. And so there it is. It's out there now in the I, world. I it's just think it's hilarious solution. because there's a lot of Jason Bourne types out there that are saying, oh, I'll just carry my rifle in a guitar case. And it's like, dude, you can't play guitar, right? Or <laughs> I've got a tennis racket case. It's like, yeah, but you don't have any tennis balls with you or, or tennis shoes or anything like, like, like it doesn't fit in, but everyone has one of these stupid ass camp chairs and right. it's so, so perfectly engineered <laughs> i was like this is genius so uh I, like i said i'm jealous that i did not come up with that idea um <laughs> now let's let's kind of pick your brain a little bit let's change topic and when i was there we were joking around about like movie shotguns right like mm -hmm. famous shotguns favorite shotguns things like that and there are some movies that all came out around the same time and like all within like 20 years of each other that everyone knows those shotguns right like uh which what, what was the the um in Jurassic Park the the Spass, Spass 12 Spass 12 any experience with that gun <laughs> no no good experiences there uh it's what do they say it's a $4000 jigsaw puzzle is it 4 grand uh, they, yeah they don't they don't run particularly well and uh stuff actually the follower is actually one of the biggest parts that kind of falls apart on it cuz they're just they're so old and and you know, people don't shoot them off and not in my experience. So yeah, they're uh, an interesting shotgun, neat idea, really cool looking on screen. Don't forget the Terminator used a Spaz 12 as well. Um, so they got, there's the one tail hook stock and then there's the folding one, the clever girl quote from Jurassic Park. So, yeah. Um, and uh, where, here's yeah. a real random movie, uh, the Wraith with Charlie Sheen. Okay. He, he's got, I, he's got a Spaz 12 in there. Nice random random yeah. knowledge that's tucked in my head that i don't know why i even possess it um, you'll need it someday yeah I, yeah you know if i'll meet charlie sheen someday and he's 
telling me all about Tiger's Blood. I can bring that up. Um, yes. But uh, other movie shotguns here. Terminator 2, the lever gun. Which one was that? Uh, that would be probably an 18. Uh, what is it? That's escaping me now. The 97 is a pump gun. 1880. Is it 87? Yeah, it's a lever action. It's probably a 10 gauge. I think it was a 10 gauge in the movie. Um, and yeah, it's, it has like a two round magazine and then one in the tube. It was really cool. It was a neat, the cowboy action shooters use those. I think it's an 1887. Okay. Favorite short barreled shotgun that ever appeared in a movie. <laughs> short barreled shotgun that ever appeared in a movie. Man, you, we were looking at that day shift trailer, right? For Netflix. Yeah. With Jamie Foxx. That seems pretty cool. Although technically, yes. Yeah. That's not out yet, but, uh, technically that's an AOW. So. Maybe the coolest short barrel shotgun is actually an AOW, but um, yeah, I, I can't really think of a, like, was the Romancing the Stone shotgun an SBS? I think it, tech, I think he, yeah, I think he had the barrel cut down. I think it was a vent rib barrel. Uh, right. And actually you said that one was a lefty gun, right? Right. Yeah. Really interesting. Um, or the, that was a, was that the Ithaca 37? I'd never looked that up. I'm sorry. This is bad. <laughs> now, one of the things that you brought up when you came out to visit Utah and you were at Ready Gunner, um, our friends at Ready Gunner, you talked to them about, you know, some stuff. Um, you were saying that if you're a lefty, having a right-handed gun is actually a benefit to you. And if you're a righty, a left-handed gun is a benefit to you. Do you want to go into that? Sure. Yeah. And I'll, I'll redeem myself on the Romancing the Stone real quick. I just looked it up. It is a Ithaca 37, so it's it's not a handed thing. But he changes the arm that he shoots from. So okay. That's, that's cool. But anyways, yes. With side eject shotguns, so Ithaca 37, Caltech KSG notwithstanding, side eject shotguns, if you have an issue with the extraction or the feed of that shotgun, it's going to be evident out externally sometimes by a stovepipe malfunction where you see part of the shell, either the fired shell that stuck in there too long or the new shell that bounced out of the carrier for some reason will be sticking out. As a right-handed shooter with a right-hand eject shotgun, which is 99% of all the shotguns out there, you won't be able to see that in your sight picture as easily from a standard, you know, stand and deliver shotgun presentation as you would if it was a left-hand eject. So imagine you're a right-handed shooter looking down your sights and you rack that action. And then for some reason, there's a shell sticking out in front of your nose. You could tell that and take care of it a lot faster. So that's from a, um, I think it's a Tuttle. Uh, from Gunsight, that's where I learned it from. Uh, instructor Tuttle, he he had he was a right-handed shooter, and he was shooting a left-handed gun, and told me about it, and that was it was eye-opening for me to to be like, yeah, you're absolutely right for a manual action gun to be able to, uh, you know, observe, identify, and remediate an issue like that more, you know, quickly, expediently, efficiently. That's that's the way to do it. Get the wrong hand eject for you and you'll be able to see it before anyone else does. Yeah, I guess it's kind of true for the, like the Remington 700 too. Uh, a buddy of mine back in the day, Chris Oslins, he was a lefty, but he shot a right-handed gun and he liked the idea that he could uh, maintain his firing grip with his left hand, run the bolt with his right hand. And yeah. I was like, that actually is kind of smart. I mean, it's a little screwy and it goes against like conventional wisdom and training because you're like, okay, I've got to break my grip and run the bolt and, uh, you know, get my grip again. But when right. you watch someone run a gun like that, you're like, mm, there is an argument here. You know what I mean? Like there's there's <laughs> something to be said. So 
I, if you're, if you guys are listening and you're on like the secondary firearms market and you see a great deal for a gun as a lefty, don't discredit it. Right. I mean, just learn how to, how to run it. And I don't think you're going to be sorry. Yeah. Agreed. And they're really, oh, there's a lot of parts commonality on that stuff. Um, but the barrels and the bolts are different and that's why they don't make them all the time. So there's this, I'm specifically the Mossberg 590 series and then the Remington 870 series. And those are, you know, the two main things that we do around here. So but they're so, great. They're rare, but they're awesome. So let me ask you what's coming up next for, for Van Comp. I know you guys have some like pretty cool stuff that you did. You just did something for Tom Marshall at recoil with that mid barrel, uh, red dot only site. Like yeah. what's, what's like the next level, the, the next evolution that you guys are working on. Man, we got, we do have a lot of projects going with the the new owner. He took over two years ago, Hans Vang retired and sold the company to our, our current owner. He's, you know, he's fine with developing all the products we've wanted to develop for about the last 15 years. So, uh, to answer your question, red dots, red dots, that's the next evolution. We've had rails on shotguns for a very long time. We actually created that first rear sight with integral Picatinny rail. So we've allowed folks to go grab whatever they want, stick it on a pick rail mount, and then have a red dot on their shotgun. Then the next thing is the direct mount. You know, we've seen kind of the folly in the plate system of MOS and there's benefits and not benefits to that. So the, the direct mount optic stuff is coming for factory hole patterns to allow people to drop bang comp products directly into factory holes. So those are, that's the next evolution in the next few months. A further down the road is our barrels. We're working with a couple barrel manufacturers now to get uh, barrels for Remingtons and Mossbergs out to the wild. As far as the labor goes, as soon as I get my carbide tooling, we'll be able to offer the Vancomp barrel modification service to chrome-lined shotguns, including the 1301 and all the Berettas that we've never been able, Berettas and Benelli's that we haven't been able to modify in the past. So. Um, Along with some production guns coming out and finally some swag as far as hats and shirts and stickers. There's a, a lot of stuff going on here, but we're a small shop, so we're focusing on that custom stuff before we get this production stuff out the door. Damn, you guys are busy. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, and we can use some help. If anyone needs a job in the Las Vegas area, hit us up. Yeah, guys. Uh, and, and on top of that, Cody and his team, we're going to try to get a Remington 870 uh, maybe a 590 course uh, scheduled, like a gunsmithing, or not gunsmithing, uh, armor course scheduled for Utah up here in Heber City. And then we want to do one over in North Carolina at our uh, Aberdeen location at Fieldcraft East. So if you're someone who is in the market for training to learn how to keep the gun running, how to diagnose problems, how to you know do simple fixes, that armor class is for you. Um, so we're, we're partnering up with these guys. We're, we're helping them out. They helped us get two very successful courses up off the ground. We're going to do more and, you know, Cody's going to scratch my back and I'm going to scratch his and we're going to try to make it as not as awkward as possible just by not making eye contact. Um, <laughs> yeah. Don't do it at the same time. We can, we can take turns. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, the only way to do it at the same time would be face to face. Like, it, yeah, I'm thinking of a bathtub, like a claw foot. Um, no, we don't have to talk about that. Yeah. We're, we're not going there. That's <laughs> Yes. Uh, my girlfriend would not be happy. Um, True. My wife, my wife's not listening. So we're all right. Okay, good. All right. It didn't happen. <laughs> you, you know what they say? Like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. We just totally. That's right. That up. 
Yeah, uh, you should do route all your calls through Vegas just so that <laughs> plausible deniability. Yeah. By the way, Vegas. Well, I, I just want to talk about this. Like, I know we're, we're running a little bit long, but it's cool. Vegas is one of those interesting training locations. Uh, I've been to Vegas a handful of times. I'm not much of a gambler. I was there with, with Doc Jones. And, you know, the extent of our Vegas excitement was going to a buffet and, you know, passing out at about 930 at night, you know, and, and meanwhile, that city does not sleep. There are weirdos all over the place. You don't see a lot of cops. You see a lot of security guards. Um, it, it's just one of those weird places. But the feedback that we got from a lot of the students was, oh, it's great to come here because I can do something with Fieldcraft and my family can do something else. Or I've always wanted to come to Vegas and I got to do this course and I got a chance to to go see the city. I think there's something to be said about as, as crazy as these cities are, I think there's something to be said about doing a course where you have this attraction that there's so much to do in Vegas. Um, I mean, you guys gave me a bunch of options. The state troopers gave us a bunch of options, including a, a, uh, a Chinese food place called Pho, or a Vietnamese place, Pho Kim Long. And if you say it fast <laughs> enough, it's very awkward. Um, but man, Vegas is awesome. Uh, awesome, but I could also say that I can't live forever there. You know, like I'm good for a weekend and then I got to leave. Um, yes, definitely. What's your experience in Vegas? I mean, you guys move there. Yeah, we moved. So my wife and I bought a place in Henderson when we sold the company back in 2019, 2020. So um, it was, it's, Henderson is a lot slower paced. It's not the, you know, the strip. Everyone thinks of Vegas, it's the strip. There's a lot of stuff to do out of here. If you like the outdoors, there's some really cool, you know, we've got, you, you go snowboard, and then an hour later, be at the strip playing, you know, craps or whatever. So there's, there's a, there are diverse things to do. There's a lot of people, um, but, and it gets really hot. So there's, there's a, you know, the food's great. The entertainment's great. So that can't be beat. And my wife, you know, she's a VA nurse. So the VA hospital up here is pretty new and she likes it. It's still got the new hospital smell. So um, she's happy. That makes me happy. I'm here building guns, you know, six, seven days a week. So that's what we do. And, and we love it. Awesome, man. Well, hey, uh, is there anything else that we didn't we didn't talk about that we should probably say? Well, not really, except one more thing on the romancing the stone shotgun, yeah. <laughs> because I don't want to get you know impaled on the internet. But when I looked up a photo of it, it was it was an illustration of an Ithaca thirty seven. The gun in the movie, I looked on IMFDB. It is a left handed eight seventy. It is a left handed so, eight seventy, huh? I, I remembered a weird left-handed thing, but then the illustration on the co- on the you know the cover art was uh, an Ithaca 37. So the illustrator didn't know about the shotgun, but yes, left eject 870. So as we were talking, and it is it looks like an SVS, so I think we're good. Uh, as far as Vang comp stuff goes, man, um, really I just appreciate you having me on. And if there's anything else you guys need from me, um, you can reach me Cody at VangComp.com. That's spelled V-A-N-G. C-O-M-P.com. Cody is spelled C-O-D-Y. Just give me an email. Um, give us a little bit of time to get back to you. We're a small shop with a lot of work, but um, the stuff that's coming out of here, it's world-class. It's the stuff hands taught us. You know, I worked for him for 17 years. Uh, Nick and GT are about 10 years apiece. So they're, we're, we're just bringing on that tradition. And uh, with the, the production guns we have coming, it's, we're just bringing it into that, that next step, like you said, the next evolution. 
We'll have red dots. We'll have vein guns. All the parts and everything are going to be flowing. Got the supply chain stuff getting figured out. So, man, it's a it's an exciting time for us. We're we call ourselves a 32 year startup. So we're, we're getting there. <laughs> and guys, if you're listening, uh, listen. There's a reason why I'm an advocate for the 12 gauge. There's a lot of reasons. Okay, I mean, I'm a survival guy. I've carried a 12 gauge in the woods for bear. I've used a 12 gauge for hunting pheasant. I keep a 12 gauge loaded next to my bed for a reason. Um, the 12 gauge is still flying under the radar, right? I mean, we don't know what the future is for gun legislation in this country. And obviously I'm not a fan of that. Um, but I do know that whenever there is the sense of some type of impending restriction, prohibition, whatever it may be, people buy up the supply like crazy. And then you're just sit that you're sitting there like, well, what am I going to buy? What am I going to buy? It's like, well, why don't you focus on improving what you already have? If mm -hmm. for whatever reason, when this releases, there's something that's looming overhead and the ammo supply dips at your store or the gun rack disappears, take care of what you have right now, right? I would definitely get spare parts for all your handguns, get spare parts for your, your ARs, um, get spare batteries for, for all of your weapon mounted lights, take care of what you have. And look at something like your 12 gauge and say, like, how can I make this better? I've been using that Vangcom system for well over a decade. Um, and I'm going to tell you, I swear by it. And I'm not, I'm not a bullshitter. I mean, I have been in the outdoors industry for a long time. There's some stuff that I've gotten for free, some stuff that I've paid for. There's some stuff that I'm told, hey, you should definitely, you know, promote this. If I had to choose a handful of companies and tell you, like, which one am I 100% loyal to because I believe in it inside and out? It's Vancomp. That's one of them. Um, I'm telling you guys, between Vancomp, Kafaru, uh, you know, Gossman Knives, like there's a handful of companies that I know will never fail me. And I know that they're not going to fail you. So it sounds like a giant advertisement, but it's not. Um, there's some cool stuff that, that Cody knows. Thank and you. I, I mean, I just am happy to, to share his knowledge and, and get it out to you guys. Um, and if you guys ever have any questions from like the end user perspective, hit me up, right? So hit up Cody for parts and services, hit up me for experiences, happy to, happy to share. So Cody, thank you so much for being on, man. Um, thank you. And uh, I'm serious. Next time that those chair covers are in, let me know because I want <laughs> So Yeah, I got you, man. What color, what color do you want? Uh, I don't know. The one that looks the most like it would fit in at a, at a soccer match, a uh, soccer game nice. and uh, yeah. you know, paired with like a Yeti cooler and I don't know, something, something foo-foo. <laughs> so maybe like that red or the blue, you know, definitely right. not green. That's why we or, went with the weird colors just for that. Yeah. You know, I don't, I don't want it to look, you know, tactical, like no coyote, no ranger green. I want something bright and obnoxious where someone's going to be like, there's no way there's a shotgun in there. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. yeah we got some fun ideas for some, some future stuff. Cause he's, you know, they don't take a lot of material on the yeah. outside. And so, yeah, they're like, if we've got some weird runs, we'll let you know. I'm like, all right, plaid, plaid chair covers coming right up. Yeah, man. The weirder, the better. That's how I live my life. So, uh, <laughs> All right, dude. Well, hey, thanks so much for being on. Guys, thank you so much for listening.